0: What's up, Mosaic? <laughs> you know, I think in life, there seems to be two kinds of applause, the kind that comes at the end of something, which is more about accomplishment and impressiveness. And then there's this, which is more about family and a big, giant collective hug. So back at you, folks, back at you. <laughs> so good to be home. So good to be home. Um, I, you know like, what do you do with this space? (laughs) That has been kind of the burning question on my mind for weeks now. Like, what on earth do I do with this space where in the entirety of my more than 20 years of ministry, I have never been in a space like this where I've been absent so long uh, and even just not teaching or preaching for so long and then just suddenly, hi. And, and so, you know, what do you do with that? And, and, and what do you bring to the table when you have experienced worlds in the, in the absence? Now, have you ever gone on a trip somewhere really, really special? Like maybe like to an Israel or something like that, where there was just experience after experience after experience, you know, visiting a city like Rome or Paris. And then you come back and people are like, what was it like? And you're like, I don't I, Yeah. yeah. Like, where do you start? Which experience do you pick? Where do you begin? How do you unpack it? And when you involve God in that picture, not just a city and his work in you, then it is exponentially more complex because there's so much more that he does than a city can do for you. Uh, in visiting it. And so where do I begin? This has been the burning question. And yet, interestingly enough, as God is so wondrously gracious to do, the closer we came to this space, the more clear and obvious that became. There is a starting point, a profound and singular reality that trumps all the others that have taken place. And over the months to come in our journey together, as I'm sure you know if you've been part of Mosaic... Uh, What is in me bleeds out to us, and so you will hear plenty of all the things that God has done, and it'll be an exciting journey forward. It'll be woven into the journey that we take, but there is one thing that above all else stood out to me in my experience over the last few months that has changed things in me forever and more profoundly than any of the other things that I have discovered or experienced All the other transformations that have taken place, this one is the one that stands above all. So for you to understand how this particular discovery and how this particular reality has so profoundly changed me and I pray and trust will change you in time as you continue to discover it and continually me, I'll have to kind of take you through a bit of a journey and then we'll kind of get to where it is personal to me. So I was on a plane this week. Uh, we I went to New York for a couple of days uh, to a little gathering there, uh, continued learning gathering because my learning doesn't come to an end. Now it's really at its beginnings, um, and so I was in New York with some pastors there, learning from them and sharing with them uh, us learning together. And on the plane ride there, um, I was uh, we were coming down toward landing, and we landed. And then we got stuck on the tarmac for about 20 minutes because the gate wasn't ready because we arrived early. And we're sitting on the plane and two rows in front of me, there was a mom with a little, what seemed to be maybe 18-month-old. May, and probably not two, wasn't toddler yet. So this little kid is not a toddler yet, still sort of infant, baby. But in that stage where there is a clear engagement, right? So, uh, so probably 18-month-ish. And this little baby was sitting on mom facing backwards because now they're out of the seat. The plane is standing still, and, and, she's, and their little head is right here. And the seats are higher than she is, but there's a gap between seats. You, you know this, right? And so she peeks through the gap, this little baby, and I catch her eye. And in that singular moment of catching her eye, there is a moment that I have come to understand that depending on my facial expression will depend on how long this moment lasts, right? Now initially it'll last about three and a half seconds. There'll be a peak and then immediately kind of a, a disappear. But that three and a half seconds matter because in that three and a half seconds what that baby experiences from the person they make eye contact with will depend on whether they peak again. And so when I have those moments, I think of a scene out of a movie called Avatar where there is a greeting and the greeting that happens, uh, one of the characters in Avatar says to another character in a greeting, I see you. I see you. And the the other guy's like, yeah, I I see you too. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's our greeting. And what it means is That as I'm greeting you, I'm saying that as we see each other more, know each other more, I will continue to see you. I want to see you. I want to know you and I see you now. This isn't just a hello. This is a let's see each other. And and I think about that often when I'm in this lobby and I'm engaging with your children. I always have this deep sense in me that I, I want to be able to look them in the eye in that moment in the stroller. And I want so badly in whatever language they speak at 18 months old to be able to, in that language, say, I see you. Like, I see you. Like, I'm right here and I see you. And I want to know all about you. And so in that moment on that plane, that, that was, that was my thought in my head. I, I, and I just, I try in my head to say, what would it look like if I could somehow physically express to this 18 month old, I see you. Are you right there? It's you and me, baby. I mean, really, it's just us right now. Stupid plane, stupid people, forget them. We're right here. And so then for the next 15 minutes, we had a thing, me and that 18 year, uh, 18 month old, we just had a little thing. I mean, it was in and out and looking and then smile and shy and back and forth. And the whole time, all I could think about is, I just want you to know, I see you. I see you. I was then at the New York gathering and they played a video. Um, an organization had put a video together because part of this gathering was kind of navigating what it means for us as a church to be a people that make Jesus known to the world, in a world that needs Jesus as much as they ever have. And so what does it look like to engage uh, in this journey of evangelism? Uh, Not going out to conform people to a religious experience, but to show people the love of Jesus and to have them know who he is so that they might know love. And so they showed this video where they did interviews on the street in New York, um, and LA I think, And they asked questions. And one of the questions they asked was, when have you felt most alone? When have you felt most alone? And every single answer, there were probably 20 people that answered on the streets. Every single answer said they felt most alone when they were in a crowd. And no one understood them. No one knew them. No one talked to them. No one saw them. Isn't that funny? You would have expected when I'm isolated on an island, when I'm in the dark at home, but all of them were like, oh, most alone? I know when that is. It's so when I've been with other people and I have felt clearly that no one knows me, sees me, understands me, is with me. We are a people that have been designed by our Creator. To have a deep need to be seen fully. We use words like to be known, to be loved, to be understood, but they all wrap into this word, to be seen. It is our greatest fear, isn't it? To be fully seen, isn't it? Not one of you, not me, are vulnerable enough that we are fully seen by other humans because we are too
1: afraid see
0: us like really see us like know the the layer below the layer below the layer below the layer of our thoughts have you ever watched those movies where people could read each other's minds and you get a panic attack <laughs> like oh gosh never because they can write scripts about it and make it all cute and nice but it ain't scripted when it's with us if you could see in my heart and head oh the darkness So we are most afraid of being seen fully, and we long more to be seen fully than anything else. What a terrible collision. I didn't notice this, actually, until recently, which is mind-blowing to me now. But in Scripture, if this Creator who made us designed us to need to be seen then it would make sense if he was a good God that he designed us with a need to be seen so that he can do what? See us. A God that makes us with a need that he can fulfill fully so that we would know what it's like to be seen because we couldn't know what it's like to be seen unless we needed to be seen. What a crazy creator, right? So he's like, I'm going to make you with such a deep need to be seen and then I'm going to see you and you're going to be like, oh, and it's going to be awesome. I think that was that was the beginning of the human race with Adam and Eve. I'm going to, I'm going to have you see each other fully naked, fully vulnerable, fully exposed. You're going to see fully. And then sin came. But after that, God's work with us, it seems in scripture is this constant work of helping us remember that he still sees us. So in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, You know, throughout the Old Testament, God has given names. You know, and the names that God has given are these names that He's given constantly through experiences, or or there's questions like, "What should we call you?" Well, you can call me I Am. You know, so there's names like that, or or they're like, "This is the God that heals, Jehovah Rapha," and you're like, "Okay, why do you call Him that?" Because He just healed us. So there's all these experiences that happen, and then there's all these questions that emerge, and so God has given names. And in Genesis chapter 16, this is before Moses and before Yahweh becomes a name. I am all these big ones that become God. There is a little incident that happens. In Genesis chapter 16, God's just called Abraham out recently. We're just in the beginnings of God's interaction with humanity after the fall of man. Uh, We've had the Noah stuff happen, and now we're in Abraham, and God's beginning to build his people. And he calls Noah out, and there's a story with this woman named Hagar uh, because of a promise that God gave Abraham to have children, but Sarah was too old, so he had a a grand idea with Sarah To hang out with Hagar and then they would have kids and the whole thing would be great. And then that happened. And then there was jealousy and then it went really badly. And then Hagar uh, had to leave because she was being treated so badly. And in Genesis chapter 16, think about how early this is in the story of humankind and God in Genesis 16 verse seven, it says this, the angel of the Lord found her. This is Hagar. Now, whenever we're dealing with the angel of the Lord here, uh, that is a tricky space because, yes, it could be an angel sent. But more often than not, this is just God saying, I showed up. (laughs) I I showed up. And, And so listen, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, this is what we're going we're to dabble in for the next 30 minutes or so, is why God is so weird with questions. Because there's a, a multitude of incidences where there is something so obvious before him, and then he asks some crazy, stupid question. Where, where are you going? Where, where are you going? It's like... I, I almost feel like every time, like looking up at God for a second and go, you know where she came from and you know where she's going. So what the heck? Why are you asking this question? Actually, there is a profound reason that has nothing to do with his knowing and so much to do with our lack of knowing. And he says, so wh- where are you coming from? Where are you going? And so she shares with him, well, stuff happened and you know, and then he says to her, <clears throat> verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're pregnant. And he gives this blessing to her. And it's beautiful. And then look what happens. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God. Of seeing. You know how early this is in the story? One of the first names given to God. That we didn't give to him. He gave to us to give back to him. Is this. Call me the one who sees. Call me the one who sees. The God of seeing. And it says in there, for He had seen her. So Jesus shows up on the planet and uh, he starts walking around um, as an adult after he's grown up and he starts encountering humans. He starts bumping into people. And as he bumps into people, the strangest things happen. And I have chosen just a few encounters. This is not an exhaustive list. I could have picked another 15 besides these. These were just the ones I came across and I'm like, I'll, I'll pick these. These are, these are awesome examples. There are others. But I'm gonna run through a bunch of examples of stories just like Hagar's, except in the New Testament context with Jesus actually on the planet. And what I hope you see, as I have seen, is how profoundly and how often Jesus encounters a human and makes a point to stop and say, I'm not just gonna pass you by and give you what you want. I'm going to do something far more dear and deep and special for you than handing you a healing or handing you a freedom or handing you a thing that you need. We are so oriented toward what we need in the immediacy of our circumstances or our pain. And what we don't even know is that what we need more than anything else is the eyes of God to see us fully and for us to know that we are seen. And what he does in these encounters over and over again, I see it now as he stops and he goes, I'm not just passing you by. I'm, I'm gonna stop and see you. Take a look at this. So, Mark chapter five, and you're welcome to turn with me if you'd like. We're gonna buzz fast and go quick. I'm gonna tell more than I read, but I want you to encounter each of these encounters with me because they have been for me a space of dearness that I cannot begin to describe. And so, watch. In this encounter, in Mark chapter five, There is a woman, and she is in a crowd, and she has spent a lifetime suffering. But the kind of suffering that she's had is including a bleeding. And in that cultural context, a bleeding was considered to be something unclean in the Jewish culture because of a number of reasons. And so her suffering is not just a physical suffering, but an isolation. It means as long as you are bleeding, that you can't ever engage in the ongoings of human community because you have something that's going on that causes an uncleanness that we can't engage with. And so you can imagine for her, not just a physical suffering, but a relational suffering. And despite that, she makes her way into a crowd because she hears of Jesus coming. And in this crowd, it says to us of her that she had tried everything else. She has exhausted all other options for the balming and ending of her suffering, but she cannot find it. And this is what it says. Uh, It says, verse 28 of Mark 5, for she said, this is her to herself, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And it says then, and immediately as she touched his garment, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So when did the healing take place? The instant she touched Jesus, she was healed. So she is currently healed. Are you with me so far? Any confusion about that? She's currently healed. None of us would disagree, right? So then, so it's done. She's on her way. She, it's mind blowing. Jesus gave her what she wanted. And what does Jesus do? You're going to know these stories, but please experience them as though you don't for a second. Okay, because there's something in each of them that you have not yet seen, I don't think. And maybe you have, but I hadn't until recently. Okay, so Jesus stops. He stops and he's like, oh, hold, time out. The crowd's like, people are tripping over each other. How do we know? Because the disciples actually say it. Look at this, uh, verse uh, 39. Uh, Is it 39? I don't know. Um, Whatever. Uh, And his disciples said to him, you can find it. Uh, 31, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Like one of his disciples is like, are you out of your mind? Like the crowd, who touched me? Oh, yeah, like, we're going to figure this one out. I mean, that's the dumbest thing on the planet. That's how it was kind of, maybe they were this nice. I don't know. Maybe they wrote it this nice. But I'm sure when I'm like, you're kidding, right? Who touched me? Like a thousand people touched you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Can you imagine just stopping? This woman is on her way out. She's just like not even sure of what she's felt is real, but she can't wait to get home and figure it out. And, she's, and now she's stopped too. Can you imagine how scary that feels? Who touched me? Somebody touched me. She knows. I mean, you know that you know. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a crowd and you know you're the one they're talking about? And you're like, no, please not me. You just want to crawl in a hole and crawl out the door. And Jesus is like, you know who you are. And so the Bible says she finally was like, my gosh, it was me. Do you think she had any idea at that point that she wasn't going to get in trouble? Like that feels like the principal's office to me. And I'm sure it did to her. Because she comes forward, kind of like, I'm so, like, almost like, I'm so sorry I took whatever it is you just, I didn't mean to. I didn't realize that I could steal power. I, I, didn't, I mean, I knew you would heal, but I didn't realize you'd feel it. I, I, I thought I could just have it, but it, clearly I stole it. Like, almost like, take it
1: back, take it back. I didn't mean it. Verse
0: 34. And he said to her, daughter. Pay attention. Every time we've thought Jesus has reprimanded us in scripture, you pay attention to the words he doesn't. It starts with peace be with you or daughter, or are you okay? Every time, daughter, daughter. So I want you to picture with me. I don't know that this happened every time, but I'm gonna tell you when I'm dying, I'm gonna be like, please tell me it happened every time. Tell me I was right. And I think Jesus is just, to be nice, gonna go, yep, you were right. I picture on every occasion I'm gonna speak of, Jesus stopping and putting his hand on whoever's cheek it is. You know, like a big brother or a dad or a mom in a point of meeting where the child just needs to know it's gonna be okay. He just puts his hand on her cheek, She's low and she's in trouble. And he says, daughter, daughter, look at this. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See how weird that is? When was she healed again? Already. So why? See, I'm always like, why? I don't get it. Like what? Be healed of your disease. Like it didn't happen until now. And we always interpret this like what Jesus needed to do was give us some good theology first. In case you all thought you could just get healed easy, it requires your faith or things like that. And I'm like, no, no, stop. What is Jesus doing? He's stopping an entire crowd to say that when I come by you and you are sitting in a place of desperation, I'm not just going to toss change at you. I'm not just going to give you a meal. I'm not just going to hand you a coat and say, be well. I'm going to stop. I'm going to sit by you. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to say, I know you. I see you. And there it was. Who did this? I did. Daughter, I see your faith. Daughter, I see your heart. Daughter, I see your pain. Daughter, I see you go in peace now. Not because I gave you healing, but because we had this moment. I have to wonder when she was sitting with her grandchildren much later, whether she talked more about the healing or more about the encounter. Do you want to put money on it? Because I will. I'm going to go encounter every time. Because when you encounter the eyes of Jesus this profoundly, nothing else that you have or don't have matter. So, goodness, do I have a clock? Yes, I do. I, f- I forget. It's been a while. There's the clock. Okay. We're going to have to go fast. Luke chapter seven. Take a look at this. Um, Luke chapter seven. This is incredible, right? So Jesus is walking and he's walking through a town with his disciples, just kind of walking along. And uh, there is a funeral procession and uh, there is a widow that we find out has lost this person that is dead and it turns out to be her only son two key points she's a widow she's already lost her husband and now she's losing her only son in a culture where when you lose your husband as a woman your only next choice for survival was your oldest son or your husband's brother the point being made here is that it is not just the loss of her son but the loss of her survival the loss of her livelihood, the loss of her security, the loss of everything in this cultural context that she would need not to end up on the street begging for somebody else's charity. Can you imagine the layers of loss? And she is weeping. And again, Jesus just comes along and it's strange because look what it says, verse 13. And when the Lord, when the Lord saw her, Right? He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. See, Remember, they're trying to summarize. John actually said this at the end of his book. If we put into this book everything we heard and saw, then you'd have 150 of these just as chapter one. So we summarized everything just in case you're wondering. So if they started putting the moments like these into some conversation, I think they would have run out of room a long time ago. So oftentimes the spirit of God just says, just tell them what happened. Jesus walks up to her again, a hand on her face. She's weeping. He looks at her and he says, do not weep. How? How? Why do you say that to a? It's so obvious. Your only son is dead, and and you're you don't go up to a woman like that and say, "Don't cry, don't cry." Unless, unless you're not saying, "Do not weep," you're saying, "I see you. I see your loss. I see your pain. I see your fear. I see your questions. I see your insecurities." I see your tomorrow. I see your yesterday. I see your heart. I see your doubts. I see everything. Do not weep any longer. Son, rise up. Here, have your boy back. Jesus could have easily just passed by and gone, get up, kid. But he stops and he says, do not weep. Mark chapter 2 I'm not even going to turn there. Mark chapter two, verse one through 12. You can go there. Uh, there's a bunch of guys. They have a friend. He's a paralytic and they hear Jesus heals. So they bring his friend, uh, their friend to him, but they can't get through the crowd where he's teaching in a house. So they climb up on a roof and they make a hole in the roof. Super sad for the homeowner. And uh, they drop the person down to where Jesus says, what is it he wants? The paralytic. It's not a, a mystery. It's not a mystery. He can't walk. No <laughs> clue. What is it he wants? To walk. To walk. And he gets lowered down, and he is in front of Jesus, and he's, he's a paralytic, and this is Jesus. Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's nice. <laughs> It is, thank you. (laughs) Deeply moved. Now that they're forgiven, is there something else maybe that you want to (laughs) say? See, that's where my head goes because I don't understand what was going on in the heart of that young man. I don't understand how many times someone would have said to him in this cultural context, What was your sin for not being able to walk? Because remember the disciples asked about that when they encountered a blind guy. What'd he do? What'd he do? Because that was the culture. If you're suffering, you did something bad. How many times did you have to hear from your cultural context, what is your sin before you were convinced that all you were was sin? And the first thing Jesus does is he says to this young man, I see you. I see your pain. Yeah, the legs, got it. I see your pain. I see your fear. I see your doubt. I see your brokenness. I see you. And I want you to know you are free when I see you. Your sins mean nothing to me. They are forgiven. And he doesn't. The next sentence isn't, okay, you can walk now. It's like he stops. And then one of the Pharisees is like, who are you to forgive sin? And then he's like, (laughs) check so hold on, let me get this right. You think forgiving sin is, is a big deal, more difficult than making a man walk. Fair enough. Okay, you're welcome to walk. Let's show these guys. I don't know, honestly. I can't wait to ask the paralytic, really. I can't wait to get and just say, t- t- question, question. When he said your sins were forgiven, was that enough? Like, were you, were you good? I'm telling you, I bet he's going to say to me, Yeah. When he, when Jesus looks you in the eye and says, I see you, you need nothing else. I mean, getting up and walking was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but man, that was enough. That was enough. Um, John chapter four, verse 16 through 20, Jesus bumps into a woman at a well in Samaria. And this woman has had five husbands and she's now living with another dude. And, uh, in that culture, not a good idea. I mean, really in our culture, probably not a good idea. And our culture is pretty broad. So I'm just saying like, this is bad across the board, right? And so she's hanging out at the well by herself later on in the day so that her shame is not exposed over and over again. And there's this Jewish guy that looks like a rabbi, bad news, and they're having a conversation and he asks her the one question that every person on the planet in that position wouldn't have wanted to hear. I mean, of all the questions, he goes like this, hey, why don't you get your husband and bring him over here so we can chat too? (laughs) Wink, wink. Can you imagine? She's like, what? I mean I'm I'm hidden. I'm I, I'm we're talking water. And the one question you have for me is go get your husband. Come on. So she, she hides again. Uh, I'm not actually I'm not actually married. Truth. Truth. <laughs> and he goes, Yep, no, I know. Number six. First five are married. Number six. Can you imagine that moment? See, what would you think the next response would be? When a human encounters another human that goes like this. Go get your husband. I don't have any. Yes, you do. You have
1: five exposed.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think at that point, shame is the natural and immediate response, right? Her response to Jesus is, man, I perceive you as a prophet. She walks closer and begins to ask questions about where they should worship. What does that mean? See, that is the invisible piece we never read. What kind of a human, when immediately fully exposed, all sin on the floor before a man, his response is to step closer and ask questions. The only way that happens is if what she saw in his eyes and heard in his voice was not condemning, but freeing. And who can do that when exposing someone? When we try to expose each other, it does not feel freeing at all. Take it from someone who knows. It feels dangerous and scary, and it feels terrible at times. It feels like people around you are not for you, but against you. This is our nature. We can't quite do it. But somehow it seems our God had a way that could fully expose and set free instead of condemn. You have five husbands and her next response is closer. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Zacchaeus. Well, before Zacchaeus, Jesus is on his way to Jericho. There's another one. I mean, this is crazy. He's on his way to Jericho. He's about to see Zacchaeus, which is a crazy story. And there's a dude on the side of a road, and it's in Luke chapter 18, verse 35 and onward. You can read about it there. And there's this guy on the side of the road, and he's blind. And this crowd is coming by, and he says to the crowd, What's going on? What's going on? Because he can't see. And they say to him, It's Jesus. Jesus is going to Jericho, to Jerusalem, to save the world. Because remember, this was on his way to Jerusalem at the Passover to finally overthrow Rome, set up his throne, and Israel would rule by his side. So everyone was super excited. And they're on a mission. And so they just tell him, like, it's Jesus. And so this is what he does. Son of David! Son of David! Heal me! Stop! I mean, and and literally, the crowd's like, shut up! Can you imagine? Welcome to humanity. Welcome to humanity. We're on a mission. He's on a mission. We're with him. He doesn't have time to heal you. So one, the idiocy of that, that Jesus couldn't just go, got it. You can see and keep moving. Jesus didn't need to stop to heal a guy from seeing. We know that. Uh, On occasions, he literally sent people home. It's done. Go home. She's fine. So they're just like, don't bother him. Don't distract him. He's not about you He's about us. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He stops everybody. And it says, he commanded that they bring the man to him. So now the man comes to him. So through the crowd and everything stopped and people are whispering like, this is what I'm talking about. We're never gonna get to Jerusalem. I'm just saying, I know humans and I know me. And so let's not pretend, okay? 2021. We've just been through 2020. Let's not pretend. Okay. And so, uh, the, the guy rolls and, and it's, I am telling you right now, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm here. Jesus gets down and he puts his hands on the man's face. And what is the question? What can I, what can I do for you? Like, what, what do you, what do you want from me? See, we read that like this guy in front of Jesus blind can't see. What would you like me to do? Uh, I'm going to see.
1: You may see.
0: That's, I think that's how we experienced Jesus. But why ask a question like that? It's, so what do you want from me? See, Jesus wasn't saying, I don't know what you want. Would you tell me? He was saying, I see you. I see your pain. I see your fear. I see your insecurity. I see your shame. I see your questions. I see your pain. What do you want? You know what it is. Ask because I want you to know I see you. And he says, I'd love to see. And Jesus says, You may see. I want to be a man. That the first time I open my eyes on this planet to see, I see the eyes of Jesus. That we would have been that man. I want to meet him and ask him what was it like to open your eyes for the first time on planet earth as an adult. And the first thing you stare into are eyes that are staring back at you saying, I see you. I see you. I see you. Zacchaeus. I mean, he sees him. Should I, do I need to go into the story? You know, Zacchaeus going to your house. And it says he climbed out of the tree and with great joyfulness ran home to set up the table, chief tax collector, sinner of sinners. I see your pain. I see your sin. I see you two that you're familiar with. So I'm not going to go into them, but Peter and Thomas now direct disciples of Jesus. Remember the story in John 13, where Jesus is about to say, "I'm rolling out. You can't go with me," and and Peter's like,
1: "Wherever you go, I'm gonna go. Trust me, I can do it."
0: And he's like, "You're not going where I'm going, dude. Like, I'm I'm gonna die and like go take care of things in spiritual realms, but I'm not gonna tell you that because I would confuse you. You can't go where I go." And Peter's like, "Oh well," and Jesus says, "So just just to be upfront for a second, before tomorrow morning." and the sun rises and the rooster crows, you're not even gonna be able to stand by me in a human context, let alone in a big context. And then you know the story. In 18, Peter denies him three times, deep shame. And the Bible says, on the third time as Peter realized what had happened and came awake, Jesus looked at him. And we've talked about this before, not a look of reprimand, because why would Jesus tell him that he was gonna fail only to say, ha told you. That is not the God I serve and not the God I know. The God I know gives us a heads up so that we won't feel shame because he'll say, I already knew I'm with you. I've got you. And then on a beach later on, what does he do? He sits with Peter and he says this, tell me, tell me, Pete, do you love me? Why a question like that? We know. I need to help you see again that I see you. I need to help you see again that I see you. Thomas, I'm not going to believe till I can stick my fingers in his hands. You should go read it in chapter 20 of the book of John. Jesus comes and he starts this way as he appears in the room supernaturally. Bing! And then Thomas is there and you know, Thomas is like, did he, did he hear me say that? And this is how he starts the moment where he says, Thomas, here are my hands. Put your fingers in them. He doesn't go like this stupid doubting Thomas. I'm going to call you doubting Thomas for the rest of your stinking eternity. Go ahead, put him in, put him in. Now, next time, come on. And let's be honest. That's how we read it every time. You know why we read it that way? Because of the last line. You believe because you saw, but blessed are those who believe who don't see. That wasn't Jesus going, pure, pathetic, nothing. Hello. The others are awesome. He's saying, I know believing is hard. Many are going to need to believe without this luxury. So rise up, Thomas, and tell them. That's what he was doing. Because here's how I know. Here's how he started that. Thomas, peace be with you. Here are my hands. See, we always miss that, don't we? When Jesus stops, hand on the cheek, peace be with you. Now, here are my hands. I see your doubt. I see your fear. I see your pain. I see your grief. And I see you. Peace be with you. <clears throat> this last five months, was primarily designed as a journey where I could stop working on ministry vocationally for a while and work on traveling with the Holy Spirit through the help of many men and women into my own life to see what I have not yet seen, to know what I have not yet known. Because since I was 28, I've been busy doing this for 19 years. And it's been awesome and fun and crazy and brutal and beautiful. And in between this, the spirit of God has been gracious enough to do much in me as I've tried to redeem the spaces with him in me in the midst of my home's crisis and trauma and all the stuff that you all know all too well because I have shared it. But there was much I had not yet seen and much I did not yet know of myself. And so I went on a personal journey with the help of others, counselors, soul care, coaches, therapists. I mean, an entire army of people to try to tear open my chest and expose everything that there is to expose. It was so exciting until it happened. And then it wasn't exciting at all. Then it was just hard. Because there is a darkness in each of us that we do not even see ourselves. Not because we are hiding it from ourselves, but because we cannot see until we let others see for us. Because we, if we are even self-aware, which many of us are not even there yet, but let's just imagine we're pretty self-aware. We certainly are very unaware of how others experience us. Because we don't want to ask because we're too stinking scared. And FYI, you should be afraid. (laughs) Because it's hard when you start hearing, hey, tell me the truth it's hard. And you wrestle with deep questions of, oh my gosh, really? All this has just been, this is, this is what's happened. It's hard. And so I went on a journey allowing for this space of complete exposure in my personal worlds and heart and motives and i came to places within me and saw things that i have words for you know the monster within the darkness that i didn't know was darkness these aren't those like sins you secretly do They're like oh my gosh and you know what they are and you hide them right these are things you don't even know exist within you and then i went on a leadership journey to do the same what leadership deficits do i have that since I was here for the last 19 years, I just never grew in. And so now this place is paying the price for the absence of leadership skills I need to have. And when you dig into the deficits, you know, it's fun to play in the things you have, because that's usually where we all play. Look, I'm good at these things. But when you give people the room to say, yeah, but 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 these are how we felt, and you're like, why would you feel that way? I do these things, because you don't do these things. Oh my gosh, or you do these things. We all have coping mechanisms. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. You have a coping mechanism, welcome. I have multiple, <laughs> so I'm way ahead of you. And we deploy our coping mechanisms to stay away from our fears. So I, when I have fears of hurting people, or fears of conflict, or fears of that, I employ other coping mechanisms to work around them. So I've gone on this crazy journey, which I'll share much more with you guys in the weeks and months to come. Don't worry, I'll tell it, I'll tell it all. It'll get crazy. But what's important for today is simply this. In my 47 years some of the loneliest and darkest spaces I have ever walked into have existed in the last five months because I needed full exposure and I needed others to do it for me. And that combination leaves you in a place where you feel very unseen at times or seen and realize, oh my gosh, whoa, this is bad for me. I'm freaking out. So I'm sure you are. And here's what happened. In my darkest moments, these last five months, and they weren't all dark. I had wonderful moments too. But in my darkest moments, my most alone times, my most unseen moments, something happened I did not expect. I've always felt very seen by Jesus. But it turns out, if I could give you this picture, as I walked around the corner of my hidden spaces. And I found the little monsters within that reside in me. The things that still need redeeming. Jesus didn't walk into those rooms with me, see the monster and go, whoa, deep breaths, deep breaths. We're good. We're good. I still love you. That's how we experience Jesus, right? He goes with us. He discovers with us and we hope he doesn't reject us. And then he doesn't. And we're happy. It's not how it works. Jesus was already in the room. He'd been there the whole time since I was born. He saw that monster the second I was conceived, and he has loved me every day since I was conceived and before that, and he has always seen what I am now just seeing. I have felt more seen by Jesus in the last five months than I have in the entirety of my entire life because Jesus sees all of me. The parts I have not yet even discovered, and there's much to come, he sees it all. So I leave you with this. there's this little book, God Knows Me. How cute is that? And I read this book to my children when they were little. So this is going back now, you know, 20, 21 years ago. I started reading this book to my children. I found it on our bookshelf. It's still there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because it came to me. And I have now read this book multiple times, but not to my children. Just to me. Just to me. Now I read it to you. This has been a gift to me from God. And I hand it now to you as a gift to you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your suffering is. I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what your insecurities are. I don't know what your sins are. I don't know where your shame resides. I don't know what you feel unseen in. I don't know what you're consciously hiding and I don't know what you're unconsciously hiding. I don't know much. But I know he does. And I know he sees you
1: fully and you are safe.
0: Oh Lord, this is out of Psalm 139. It's a book, literally Psalm 139 written out in children form. Oh Lord, you see me and you know me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you even know what I'm thinking. Before I say a word, you already know it. You know, when I go outside or when I'm laying in my bed, you know everything about me. You protect me from all sides. You have placed your hands around me. Just thinking about this is so wonderful. It's too much for me to understand. Where could I hide from you? Look at that picture. The little cat in like a tree. Where could I hide from you? <clears throat> could I run away from you? If I went into outer space, you are you there. If I went to the bottom of the ocean, Well, you are there too. (laughs) If I could fly past the clouds to the other side of the sea, your hand would hold me safely. And I added to this, if I go into the deepest, darkest parts of myself, you are there already. And you see me. If I say, surely I could hide in the dark, even the darkness Would be as bright as daytime for you. You made every part of me. You put me together while I was inside my mommy's tummy. I praise you because I am wonderfully made. Your work is perfect. Before I was even born, you saw me. All the days you have planned for me were written in your book long ago. Your thoughts are so important to me. How many of them there must be about me. If I tried to count them, they would be more than all the tiny grains of the sand at the sea. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm still with you. Now look what he says. Look at me, God. Look inside my heart. See if I am sad or worried about anything. See if I've done anything That isn't good. Show me how to love you forever and ever. See, the response to being seen is to begin the journey of freedom, to say, I am seen, so would you help me see? Here's where I am. Here's where I hope we all get to, and I get to more. That Jesus would say, I see you. And that we would know that. Then he would say, hear my voice. And then we would know that. Then he would say, trust my way. And we would know that. Then he would say, trust me. And then he would say, now come to me. Like the woman at the well. You have five husbands. Now come to me. And then he would say, now come with me. And let us go help others see that I see them. There is a song that has been a gift to me through my journey, the last few weeks especially. I have now listened to it, I would estimate, a thousand times. And you think Renaud exaggerates? Maybe, <laughs> maybe but it's hundreds at a minimum. It is on repeat and it just plays over and over again. The second I leave here, I'll go backstage, I'll stick my head and I'll listen to it one more time because I feel like I have to run to it and grab it and say, God help
1: me. I'm so scared.
0: It is a song called Quiet and you're about to hear it because our wonderful people will bring it to you. I don't want you to sing it. I don't want you to stand up. I just want you to sit. I want you to watch the screen so that you can see the words. You can close your eyes, but you can't miss the words. Because this song for me has been simply this from God day in and day out when I have felt seen or unseen by everyone else. It has been this. Quiet now, Renaud. Quiet now. Take the noise in your head and quiet now. For I see you. And it is my voice that you need to hear. My way you need to see. For I am enough for you. When nothing else is. And I live in this song right now because it is the place I find him and I see his eyes seeing me in all my beauty and all my brutality. And I pray that wherever you are today, as you have this song sung over you, that it would be a song you could borrow words from to say, He sees me too, and I am safe with him. Let me pray, and then we will listen. God, I wish in some small way that I could open up for all these amazing folks the depths of all that I have seen and experienced these last few months, the highs and the lows, the beauty and the brutality, the light and the darkness, the fears, the insecurities, the shame, the strength, the confidence, the anger, the sadness, the life and the death, all a short few months, so that they would know how much you see in me. And how safe I am in you. And how much you see in them and how safe they are in you. We are a people with much darkness. A people with much fear and a people with much anger. Toward each other, toward ourselves, toward you, toward the world. Toward something. And we barely know what to do in this crazy place, with this crazy planet. So we come now to you in this space. We ask you to quiet our hearts and our minds, our noise and our insanity. And we ask you to speak so that it is just your voice that breaks through and your words that matter. As you say to us, I've got you, I see you, I know you. Hear my voice, come to me. For I Am safe. Make it so, I pray, Jesus. Amen.
2: racing and I can't seem to wear all these crazy thoughts and feelings. It's like it never ends until your voice breaks through my noise, I know I'm not alone, not alone. You'll fight my battles if I'll just be still. Why I keep running When you're right here I'll just be quiet And let you Speak through the silence Here I am No more hiding You are in this moment I won't fight it I'll be quiet I don't need to know what comes next. Tomorrow's in your head. I can't trust you with my future because you're already there. I hear your voice call me forward. And I know I'm not alone. Not alone. Away with the distractions. I want to hear what's true Till only words that matter They come from you I'll just be quiet And let you speak through the silence Here I am, no more hiding You are in this moment I won't fight it I'll be quiet
0: I was in New York, each night after my meetings were over, I would put my headphones in, and I'd walk the streets of New York. So much noise, lights, people, crazy. And I'd have those headphones in, and I'd put the music as loud as it could go on my little iPhone. And those words would just play over and over again for an hour or two or three. I would just walk around me, more noise than my senses could bear and in the middle of it his voice quieting my soul so that i could practice living my life every day on the noise with those quiet words reminding me that i am seen i am as scared as you fyi i am as uncertain as you i don't know how to do this either this planet is a madhouse. And we are mad people. But I know I have Jesus. I know I have his word. And I know I have the spirit of God. And I know we do. So we will go forward. Because he is calling us forward. And we will stumble our way through. Because he will make our feet stable. I am going to pray a blessing over us now. First, I'm going to pray it over you, because we're going to need it, (laughs) because we have a journey ahead of us together into beauty and into brutality so that we can be seen fully by him. And then when I'm done singing this no, I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that reminder. You caught me. Um, but uh, the reason I say sing is because I am going to pray from my heart over you, but I'm going to let our beautiful and gifted singers give me the words. So a song is going to be happening, but the song is not to be sung yet, it is only to receive and know that this song, I'm borrowing the words to pray over you, so I'm not going to be praying out loud. I'm just going to be using those words, and I'm just going to hand them to you, over you, for you, for us and our church. And then at a certain point in the song, I'm going to step back over there, and I'm going to stop praying this over you, and I'm going to ask you then to pray it over me and us up here and the staff and the elders and each other because we are all, according to scripture, a royal priesthood. So you don't just get a pastor to pray blessing over you, you pray blessing over one another. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you don't mind to receive this blessing. It's not magical, it's just beautiful. And it is powerful. And I would ask if you're comfortable in the quiet and the dark to turn your hands open like this. It can be down and up, whatever, a posture of saying, Jesus, whatever you have for us, for me, I am ready. And then when I'm done with my part and I take my hands down and walk over there, I want you to turn your hands at that point in the middle of the song outward like this, because it is your turn to take what you have received and to give it back to me, back to us, and even feel free to just kind of go like this and just give it to each other. Just give it, sing it, sing it loud, shout it. Borrow the words and just give it to each other and just say, yes, God, bless them. Bless them. Bless Renault, bless them. Bless us. For we need him or we are dead. So... Let us begin. Hands up.
2: The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you for you the lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord turn
0: tell him thank you that he sees us and that he is for us. Amen. It is so good to be home. Thank you for giving me the chance to go on this journey. It has been a great blessing. And I can't wait to see where God takes us next. There are going to be people on the side here ready to pray with you if you just need to felt be felt seen by God through them feel free afterwards to go up there and they would be happy to pray with you let me pray for you now and then we will head on out God would you bless us and keep us would you make your face shine on us and be gracious to us would you turn your face toward us and see us so that we would know we are seen and give us peace.
1: We pray in Jesus' name.